Thank you for being here tonight. We're so glad that you are here. Were you not blessed by, first off, the baptism of Delaney tonight? Amen? Praise God. Woo! And then Trey Burcham bringing it tonight. Discipleship, accountability, it is vital. Wow. You can sense the presence of the Lord in this room. I hope that you can, because I can. I believe God is in this room, and he is moving in your heart, and he is moving in my heart tonight. And I'm very excited. I just reached like I had to take off my mask. I do not have my mask on, do I? <laughs> That's a hard struggle. Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1. We are, yeah, somebody said woo for Genesis. Thank you. Amen. Genesis, the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, I want to let you know, very important, if this is your first time here, you are the most important person in the room. For those of you who are regular attenders, aren't you so glad we have first-time guests in the room? Amen? Yes. Hey, if this is your first time, you see it right here. We want to talk to you. We have been so blessed to have conversations, our staff, to have conversations with some of you who have been coming to the view and trying us out. And what we want to do is we want to have a conversation with you this week where we can encourage you, where we can pray for you, where we can share a little bit more about the view and what God's doing here. And so if that is the case, even if you filled out a card, we would love for you to text guest to 901-833-7525. We would love to talk to you. We would love to get to know you and see how can we encourage you in your walk through college. As Trey said a little while ago, the view is a place of imperfect people. You ain't going to find perfect people here. I'm not perfect. Don't put your faith in me. If you put your faith in me, I will let you down. <laughs> this is a place of imperfect people, but what we get to do is we get to come together and worship the perfect God. Amen? Amen. As I told you last week, man, I need to hear from you tonight. We worship a perfect God. Amen? Amen. So I'm talking about it. it's okay to have fun in church. How many of you know that? How many of you know it's okay to have fun in church? To hoop and to holler a little bit. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. It's okay. We worship in Jesus. We need to hoop and holler a little bit. So we are glad that you're here. Now, at the top of your notes, I want you to write down Elohim, comma, part two, colon, this is a lot of grammar, <laughs> colon, personal creator. Now, last week, allow me to recap where we were so that we can do tonight, tonight's sermon justice. Um, last week, we agreed um, on a statement. Last week, we looked at how Elohim and his power we talked about the power of Elohim, the power of Yahweh. Well, tonight we're going to talk about how he is a personal creator. Now, last week we agreed. Here's a statement. If you didn't write it down last week, write it down tonight. You know what? Write it down again. We said we agreed, don't refer to God's name without having reverence for God's name. We don't ever want to get to a place where we take the name of God lightly. But all in our culture, what you hear is, you hear Jesus' name a lot if you listen. However, it's not in the right context. It's people taking Jesus' name in vain. Why do we take God's name in vain? Why do we take Jesus' name in vain? It's simple. We don't have reverence for it. We don't have respect for the name of Jesus, so we toss it around casually. In this study, what we have said is we are not going to refer to God's name if we don't first have reverence for God's name. Now, last week we talked about how Elohim is the only name used for God from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. We studied that he is, you'll remember the sermon points from last week, he is powerful over creation. Remember, you and I don't create anything. We edit, we move around, we reconfigure. He, is, he has power over creation while at the same time he has power over time. Jesus is not bound by time. Time is bound by Jesus. So tonight we begin part two. Now this is what I want you to understand. Elohim is not God's personal name. It is not God's personal name. 
Jehovah is God's personal, relational name. But what's so fascinating, and a lot of people read Genesis and they miss this. They miss a lot of what Genesis has to offer. What's fascinating, though, is that in the first five verses, Elohim is the name that's used. And even though it's not God's personal name, watch this. You see four personal actions. You see four personal attributes related to Elohim. Now, that's very fascinating because before he ever told you his personal name, he was showing you his personal actions. (laughs) You see, that's why people all across the world end up getting saved after 20, 30, 40 years on this planet because they start to see over the course of their life, like in foreign countries and stuff, they start to see the actions of a personal God, and they don't know who that is until someone introduces them to the name of Jesus. (laughs) And then they get saved, and their life is radically changed. Just as Delaney's life has been changed, just as Trey's life has been changed, and has mine. Now look with me at Genesis chapter 1. In the first five verses, and let's pick this apart. In the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, this is very important, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let's pause right there. How many of you know that when God says something, something always happens, amen? <laughs> like when God shows up and God speaks, good shows up and good happens. <laughs> if you want mountains to move in your life, it's going to come when God comes alongside you and starts answering those prayers and starts moving mountains with his voice. When God speaks, things happen. If you're walking through a battle tonight, you have a Goliath in your life, you don't need the voice of other people. They're great and you need that. But what you need to move mountains is the voice of God. Sadly, though, because of TikTok and because of Instagram and because of Apple Music and Spotify, the world has our ear more than God does. Ooh, I don't know who that's for. Amen belonged right there. Like Brother Steve says, an amen belonged right there. Drake's got our ear more than God does, which is sad. Look with me at verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Look at it, Tyler. Where's Tyler Oliver? I just saw you. Look at it. You see that? God said, let there be light, and what happened? Light came. You want light in the midst of your darkness? Ask for God, and he will bring you light. That's amazing. Let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God then, look at this, he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening and there was a morning, one day. Heavenly Father, right now, you are on the throne. Help us to live like it. Father, if you don't do anything else for us, you have already blessed us far too much. God, right now we humble our hearts before you. Elohim, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus. Father, we we humble ourselves before you, before your names, before your character. And Father, we just want to know you tonight. God, we don't want to hear from me. Who cares what I have to say? We pray that you would speak, that your Holy Spirit would supernaturally take over. And don't let me say anything that doesn't come from you. And let me say things that can only come from you. Father, move tonight. Open up the heavens and come down and rip this roof off and come down and be with us in this place. We believe you can and you will. 
Father, there are people in this room tonight who are experiencing pain. There are people in this room tonight, Father, who are experiencing hurt, who are in a battle, who are facing a Goliath, who are in a hard situation. There's people here whose parents fight every night. There's people here whose parents have been divorced since they were a kid. There's kids in here, there's college students in here who since they were young have struggled with sin that they look at on their phone. Father, there's college students in here who are struggling and hurting and you are the only one who can provide us with hope. Not a pastor, not a building. You. The devil is rebuked in the name of Jesus from this place. There ain't no distractions and no discouragement allowed in this place. Lord, we love you and we need you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Let's jump into it. Number one, Elohim is a personal creator. Elohim is a personal creator. This table is the one that I use at The View, the actual building. We got it out here because the other tables that we have been using weigh an extra 50 pounds than this one does. I could probably pick this up with one hand. The other, a little bit. <laughs> do some more pull-ups. Oh, man, I thought it was lighter than that. Well, I didn't try earlier before I showed y'all. But it's a lighter table. It's nice. This is the one from The View. I love it. I'm excited it's here tonight. Welcome table. Number one, Elohim is a personal creator. <laughs> Now, what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is the amazing and humbling fact that God is a personal creator. That God personally made you, that he personally made you to reflect something. That you are a mirror. And that as a mirror, you are called to reflect the image of God. The problem of, oh, bless you, I heard you in the back, God bless you. The problem is many of us do not reflect the image of Jesus. The problem is we're reflecting a worldly image. By the way we talk, by the way we think, by the way we interact with people, what we do with our time. A lot of us, if we're honest, we don't reflect the character of Jesus Christ because we're too busy reflecting the character of this world. He's a personal creator. Last week we saw that he created everything. He created creation itself, this world, this universe. He created time, as amazing as that is. You take all that and then you realize that he is a personal creator who knows your worries and your fears. That is amazing. You see, too many of us, we get to a point where we feel like we are entitled to a relationship with God. Just step back and realize that you are not entitled to a relationship with God. Because if you were entitled to something, that would mean God owes you something. But God does not owe you anything, college students, and he doesn't owe me anything. Instead, we owe him everything. So why are we so casual about our relationship with Jesus Christ? Why are we so casual about discipleship? Why are we so casual about accountability, about our worship, about community? The reason why we're so casual about it is because we believe we're entitled and we're owed something from God. But the creator of the universe stepped down and has allowed you to know him. Do you talk to him? Do you know him? I mean, really, like... All jokes aside, all the, the pity prayers and the going through the motions aside, like just doing it to check a box, do you really know God? Because the whole reason the view exists is to help you understand how you can know your creator. The whole reason we're here is to help you and equip you to come to know Jesus, develop a fire for Jesus, so that you can go out there in the world and tell everybody else about Jesus. Just think for a moment. Pause. The fact that God, who created everything, including time, 
the fact that he was once invisible and we had not seen him, became flesh, became Jesus Christ, came down to this earth so that we might see the invisible God through the visible Jesus Christ. He came down so that you could see him and then know him. And then guess what? It doesn't end there. You can't see and know Jesus truly without becoming Jesus. (laughs) When you see and know him truly, your actions will change, your priorities will change, how you use your time will change, and your words will change. So do you know him? Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know Christianity. I'm sorry, I know we're like 10 minutes in, but I'm not asking if you know Christianity. Christianity did not die on the cross for your sins. I'm not asking if you got a study Bible. I'm not asking if you got a cute journal with scripture on it. I'm not asking you if you got a scripture in your, in your, in your bio on Instagram, in your Twitter, on your bio. I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, do you really know Jesus? Because none of that stuff died on the cross for your sins. There is nothing I can do for you as a pastor. There is nothing I can do for your soul when it comes to dying for your sins. There is absolutely nothing I can do for you because I can't do anything for myself. Man, and when you meet Jesus, everything in your life will change. It does not happen overnight. It is hard. It is a grind. Yes, praise God. It doesn't happen overnight. But there is a heart change. When you encounter the Son of God, there's a heart change that happens. Conviction sets in. All of a sudden, what you look at at your phone, you don't just get to choose whatever you want to look at like you used to because you realize why sexual immorality will rot you from the inside out. You start to understand why God made you to be with one person for the rest of your life and not whoever. You start realizing and really truly seeing the love of Jesus Christ that he has for you. And holiness, all of a sudden, is not a burden. It's an opportunity to grow and be sanctified. But I cannot meet Jesus for you. And 10 minutes in the sermon, I got to stop because I know there's lost souls in the room. You have to make that decision to truly follow Jesus Christ. Not just a throw up prayer, not some cute feeling you get tonight. It's more than a feeling, but it really is a deep, deep conviction to know God. Do you know him? Here's how you know him. Lock in. You go to God and you have to repent. There is no salvation without repentance. Why do we not hear about repentance in America? Because it's not popular. Nobody wants to go to a place where someone's telling them, hey, you need to lay out all your sins before God, repent of them, and then change your lifestyle. No. People want to hear, oh, you are great just the way you are. Remember that song by Bruno Mars? Just the way you are. I wish I, I wish I could sing <laughs> just the way you are. That song is theologically incorrect. You at your best is still a sinful person that needs a savior. <laughs> Our best works are filthy rags before God. You repent. You go to God. It ain't cute. It's messy. You go to God, you repent, you say, God, I have sinned, and here are my sins. You name them. You don't just put together a box that says sins and give it to God. No, you list them. You list them out. You give them to Jesus. And what you'll find is when you do that, all of a sudden, those sins that you have been chained to, Jesus is the one who starts breaking those chains. 
Because like Trey said, you will never break the chains of sin on your own. You need the Holy Spirit of God. You repent. You start giving him those sins, and you start breaking chains in your life. You start making progress you never thought you could make. You start understanding God's word for the first time in a new way. And then now you know your creator, and you know what he has created you to do and to be. It's amazing. You repent. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning there is no other God. There is no other Lord. No president is Lord. No senator is Lord. You are not Lord. I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord. (laughs) You believe that three days later after he was crucified, he rose from the dead. And then when you truly believe it in your heart, he will change your life. Isn't that amazing? Now, some of you need to do that tonight. I can't walk out there and say, what about you? (laughs) What about you? (laughs) But for you, if you want to talk to somebody, text Jesus to 901. 833-7525. I wish I could make it through a sermon without giving an invitation at the front end. But text Jesus to 901-833-7525. What you will do is watch. You will get a call from our staff. We will call you tomorrow. We will call you. We will talk to you. We will encourage you. And we will walk you through what it truly means to be a believer. I need to get back on track. Give your life to Jesus. If you're here, don't wait. If we know anything in this world, it's that we don't know anything. We don't know what's to come tomorrow. Don't wait on knowing your creator. We are not entitled to anything. Now, Elohim does not mean that God is an energy source. Some people say that they believe in energy. They believe in things they can feel. They believe in things they can sense. That there's higher energy places in this world that you can go to and start to know God. What's amazing is Elohim does not mean energy source. Elohim would not be acquainted with an energy source. Elohim here in Genesis is showing something huge. Now, in the first five verses, you see four personal actions. Look with me at those verses. What you see is, you see that God said, underline that in your Bible, circle that in your Bible. God said, Elohim said. Elohim saw. Elohim separated. And then Elohim called. What's amazing about this is that God is not just a floating spirit. He's not a ghost. He is not just around and not involved in your life. But he is the creator of the universe. He is the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ in flesh. And he is involved in your life. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. That the creator of the universe is involved in your life. And he does these things in your life. He speaks, he sees you, he separates you like we're going to talk about, and he calls you. From the very beginning of Genesis, we have seen God's personal attributes on hand. That is incredible. In fact, God is personal. Look at Genesis 3, 8 and 9 on the screen. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking. Look at that. That's personal. God is walking amongst them, walking in the garden. At the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord. This is right after they sinned. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then look, the Lord God, what did he do? The Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? God is walking amongst humans in Genesis. Jesus Christ came down in the gospel. He walked amongst humans then. And now the Holy Spirit is moving and walking, not just amongst us, but through us. Isn't that amazing? He's personal. He knows you. He is real. Many of your professors in college will teach you about evolution, which teaches that there is no supreme being, that there is no supreme God that you can relate to. That you came about by chance 
by a long, 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 long amount of time that produced you because of time. We talked about it last week. A lot of humans worship time more than they do Jesus. Evolution means that over time you created. Time did not create you. The one who created time created you. <laughs> That's not Daniel's opinion. That's Bible. That's God's word. But professors are going to tell you this. You're going to hear it time and time again, that you do not have a being who's above you, who's Lord, that you can relate to. I want to tell you tonight that the word of God says completely differently. It says that you do. You have a supreme creator who relates to you because he created you. That's fantastic. I mean, that is truly amazing. The question is, are you spending time personally getting to know him? Faith is not about following a religion. It's about growing in relationship. Now, a popular thing that you hear, relationship over religion. We can't act like Christianity is not a religion. It is. And religious acts themselves are not bad. But religious acts exist to grow you in your relationship with Christ. Whenever you do a religious act that is not growing you towards Christ, you have completely missed the purpose of that religious act. Does that make sense, right? You following me? You tracking with me? Anytime we do something just to feel good about ourselves and not truly give God glory, we have missed the purpose of why we pray and why we read and why we fast and why we memorize scripture and why we do all these things. Last week I got asked a great question by a college student. It was amazing. It hit me in the gut. It was real. It was honest. A college student came up to me and said, Daniel, I got a question for you. I said, well, hopefully I got an answer for you. I said, this is my question. Besides not praying and reading the word, Besides the two big ones, how do I know if I am not personally following Christ versus just following a religion? Right? That's a good question to ask. For some of you, you've been believers a long time. How do you really know when you're following Christ in a relationship and how you're just following after religion? Now, what I'll tell you is me and my wife, we started watching a few movies together. And we watched a movie series together called The Hunger Games. You ever seen The Hunger Games? Few people have seen The Hunger Games. They're pretty good movies. I'm going to be honest with you, though. We were watching the movies. I was into it. I liked it for the most part. I was like, Katniss Everdeen's cool. She's a real one. She's tough. I mean, bow and arrow, boo! You know, she's good. She hits the apple and all that stuff. And like, okay, I look up to her. And then Gail is a beast, right? Yeah, Gail's a great character. Some of you are like, do I cheer for that in church? That's a little weird. <laughs> like, Gail's a great character. And then there's this other character. <laughs> this other character named Peta Malark. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. <laughs> Peter Malark almost ruined the franchise for me. I'm sorry. I know some of you like Peter Malark. I don't like Peter Malark. I think she should. Spoiler alert here. Some of you are like, oh, I'm getting out of here. You spoiled Hunger Games. <laughs> uh, she should have ended up with Gail. She doesn't. She ends up with Peter Malark. This is what happened is me and my wife were watching these movies. It's hilarious. Like, at the end of it, I was watching these movies out of obligation. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did not want to watch the fourth movie, but I knew my wife wanted to watch the fourth movie. I knew she wanted to make it through. She was enjoying it. She hates Peter Mark too, but she wanted to finish the series. She wanted to make it through. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to watch these movies. Well, I'll watch them anyway. What I want to tell you is I watched the last movie so that I could avoid being, making Hannah mad or disappointed. I wrote this down. How do you know if you're following Christ personally versus following a religion? I said, if you get to a point in your faith where you're doing Christianity, like I was watching a movie, watch, where you're doing Christianity just to please or not disappoint somebody else, you're following a religion. Praise God. I'm so, thank you for asking, man. I was, 
Let me go back to my notes. I'm going to mess it up now. I'm kind of scared. That's not what you said. <laughs> I said, if you get to a point in your faith where you're doing Christianity or like I was watching a movie just to please or not disappoint someone else, it's become a religion. And see, a lot of us who grew up in Christian homes or we got Christian friends, we want to keep doing this thing because we don't want to let the people around us down. But that is following a religion. It's not following a relationship with Christ. I kept going. I wrote that your faith it has to be yours. It cannot be someone else. I watched the last movie, honestly, another reason, because, shoot, I have watched the first three. Might as well finish it out. And here it is. Check the box. <laughs> When you get to a point in your faith where, hey, I've been doing this for five years. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing this for the last three months. And you get to a point where you say, you know what, I'm going to just keep on doing it because it's all I know. Or I started a while back. I got baptized when I was nine and I want to just keep doing it just to do it because I don't know anything else. You're following a religion. Does not mean you're not saved. Let me clarify, when you repent and give your life to Jesus, you cannot lose your salvation in Christ. When he has you, he got, he's got you. But what happens in our life is we begin following religion because we've done it for some odd years and we're not making our relationship with Christ ours. That's what I did with these movies. I watched the first three like, man, I feel good about myself if I've just finished the fourth. Sometimes we want to do Christianity just because it'll feel better for ourselves. <laughs> Woo! But real Christianity, the one that people are dying for around the world, is not a feel-good religion. It's a pick-up-your-cross-and-carry-it-daily religion. <laughs> it's a pray-fast-make-disciples-and-be-a-disciple religion. It is not a feel-good religion. Does Jesus Christ make you feel good when you're in a storm? Yes, he can make your soul feel good. But the purpose of being a Christian, like he said yesterday here at Bellevue, is not safety. It is sanctification. It is allowing ourselves to be persecuted for Christ. Now, here we go. Elohim is not God's personal name, but look at the personal actions. Write this down. Four very personal actions of Elohim. Four very personal actions. And the first one is God said. Let's dig into these. When you look at Genesis 1, 1 to 5, my hope and my prayer is that you look at it with fresh eyes, that you remember these two sermons. You remember how the context of knowing Elohim and looking at the actions of him radically changes your Bible reading. God said, do you know what God said? If you're living as a Christian, do you know what God said? It's not a coincidence it's the first one. It's not a coincidence that he created everything through his voice. So let me ask you, do you know what God said? Do you know what he has said about you? Do you know what he says about gender? Oh, like Daniel, that's not tonight, is it? It's coming. Sexuality. Do you know what God's word says about racism? Do you know what God's word says about pride? About selfishness? Do you know what Jesus has told you to do? I, I just want to do something for a minute. I just want you to Take your Bible and hold it in both of your hands. Just like this. Take your Bible, set everything else down, and I want you to hold it just like this. Both hands, hold it up a little bit. You ain't got to hold it above your head. Just hold it up a little bit. Hold it up and out. You ain't got your Bible? <laughs> like the one night I forget my Bible, Daniel's like, let me see him. <laughs> Roll call. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? 
Sometimes when I'm doing my quiet time, <laughs> as goofy as it is, I, I, I pick it up with both hands and I, and I hold on to my Bible. And the reason why is I hold it up with both hands, I look at it and I ask myself, do I really know what I'm holding? <laughs> do I really understand the value of what is in my hands? Let me ask you, hold your Bible and think about it. Do you know what you hold? You hold the key to joy, peace, happiness, purpose. You hold the key, not to prosperity, not to money, not to all the things the world would say you would prosper, but you hold in your hands everything you could ever need to know your creator. You've got it right here. Hold it up higher. You've got it right here. <laughs> Some of us got to stop spending so much time listening to Spotify and Apple Music and start listening to what God has said. You have the word of God. How do you treat this thing? If we really believe God spoke everything into creation, then how do we treat his literal words? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? What I want to challenge you to is, if you struggle to read this, number one, you probably need a Bible reading plan so you can understand context. But look at it for a moment. Don't look at me. Look at it. When you struggle to open this up and you doubt that God could speak to you that day, you don't understand what you have. You have a misplaced perspective on the word of God. Every single time you open this up in the morning, God will speak to you. It doesn't mean it's going to be some cute little word that's always easy to find. Sometimes you got to read this thing three times. <laughs> Sometimes God says to you, hey, if you really want to know what I have to say today, read it twice. Some of us miss out on, on words from God daily because we just won't read it twice. We get through it once and then we're done. Let me ask you, and then I'm going to let you put it down. I know your arms are like, oh, burning. Some of you, like Zach Paul, are like, oh, this is easy. I'm going to hold a camera up if I had to, hold 100 pounds up. <laughs> Every day you open this, your perspective has to be aligned to where you understand you have the word of God. And this thing alone is what has caused revival. It's what has caused revival here at The View. And this will change your life. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, you have set yourself up for failure. You need a Bible reading plan. You can set your Bibles down. Psalm chapter 1 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Look at this. Instead, his, what, delight. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. That's God's word. And he meditates on it day and night. What if you and me meditated on God's word day and night? What would happen? Spoiler alert, here it is right here. He who does that is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear fruit in its season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Understanding the Bible is not a part of following Jesus Christ. It is the literal heart of following Jesus Christ. It is the heartbeat. What we often do is we treat God's word like it's a branch on the tree when in reality it's the roots of the tree. Everything that you do in your life goes back to God's word. It's the roots I need to keep going. Every day, one more thing, write this down. Every day that you go to your Bible, you have two options. You can skim through it, 
or you can study through it. Choose wisely. Because what you choose to do with your Bible will determine what you do with your day. (laughs) Am I going to skim through it or am I going to study through it? B is God saw. The very first thing that happens, God said his word has gone forth and now God saw. What did he see? In Genesis 1-4 it says that God saw that the light was good, which is an amazing foreshadow of Jesus one day being the light of the world. Why does God see light as good? Now notice he does not call the night, the darkness good. He does not say that the dark is good. That does not mean that you and me don't need sleep, that nighttime is inherently bad. What it's showing is it's showing us what God, watch, what Elohim sees as good and bad. See, many of you know what your parents see as good and bad. So many of you know what the world sees as good and as bad. Those two are very different. What God's word says is good versus bad is very different than what the world says is good or bad. If you want to have eyes like Elohim, you need to understand that God sees righteousness as good and unrighteousness as bad. You need to understand that God sees purity in your relationship as good and he sees sexual immorality as sin. Do you see that the same way God sees it? Because if you're not careful in your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, they will convince you that sexual immorality is really not that bad if you plan to get married one day. It's really not that bad. Why not just get to that line? And then you get to one line and what happens? You go to the next and the next and the next and the next and the next. And by the end of it, you don't even know who you are in the mirror anymore. Why? Because Satan is convincing you that God is winking at your sin. That God isn't actually wanting it to be paid for on the cross by Jesus' blood, but that he's winking at you. See, pride. Pride will ruin a Christian's ministry. Do you hear me? Pride will ruin every single thing you got going on. How do we know that? Because in Genesis in the garden, pride ruined everything Adam and Eve had going on. If you want your discipleship groups, if you want your job, if you want your relationship, if you want your life to go down, be prideful. (laughs) Because pride is at the root of every sin and God sees pride as sin. Why? Because pride means you are taking credit and glory for something that belongs to Jesus and God the Father will not have that. God the Father says every ounce of glory and pride and honor goes to Jesus. And if you come in and you start trying to take the credit and the glory that is deserved to Jesus away from Christ, it's God the Father who's going to look at you and take issue with that. So what do you see? Do you see a little bit of pride is okay? I don't like Brother Steve. I want to go to this church. I I don't like that pastor. I don't like that person. I'm not going to forgive that person. I'll forgive all these other people, but that person did me too dirty. Well, you know what? You and I have done Christ too dirty, and he forgave us. (laughs) We have broken God's commands time and time again, and still Jesus has forgiven us. How can we not forgive anybody in our lives? And none of that's in my notes. I don't know who that's for, but someone's holding on to unforgiveness. It's killing you. It's not killing them. What do you see when God looks at your life? What does he see? A verse that is comforting but also rattles my soul is Proverbs 15.3, Bree. It'll hit you. 
I'm heads up here. It's like putting on the thing for the roller coaster, like prepare. It's going to hit you. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Observing, look, the wicked and the good. There is nothing sinful you can do that God doesn't see, and there's nothing good you can do that God doesn't see. He sees everything. His eyes are everywhere. Some of you are like, man, I'm not coming back. This is a little tough. Well, you know what? The gospel's tough. God sees what you're doing, and he is calling you out of that sin. When will you get out of it? When? Now, I don't know who I'm talking to, but at some point you got to let go because it's killing you. Sin is garbage. It's a momentary pleasure that is ruining everything you got going on. It's dragging you down. There is no joy and peace found in sin. But guess what? The good news is that Jesus Christ died for that sin. He shed his blood so that you wouldn't have to shed yours. He came down from heaven to earth so that when you leave earth, you get to go up to heaven. <laughs> but you got to repent. And man, I know I'm talking to some people in here who have hurt, and I've been there, man. I get it. I know. This is not me talking to you. This is me talking with you. I know. I know how hard it is. I know how much sin will give you shame and guilt and will just beat you over the head time and time again and make you feel like you're inadequate. I know. And so does he. And he can free you. Ultimately, when God looks at your life, you don't want him to see anything about you. You want him to see Jesus Christ. <laughs> you want him to see the shed blood of Jesus covering you. Some of you walked in tonight in a battle. This has been our theme over the last three weeks. I didn't necessarily plan it, but the Holy Spirit did. Some of you walked in tonight in a battle, in a hard situation, in a crisis. You have a Goliath in front of you. And you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're dealing with all this pain and hurt and sadness alone. I want you to remember this verse and write it down. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye on you. I will give counsel. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. God's eyes are on you. He is guiding you. He will. If you pray, he will be the voice behind you saying this is the way. Walk in it. That Goliath is too big for you, but he's not too big for God. That battle is heavy, but it's not too heavy for God. Find your comfort in him. See, God separated. <laughs> we don't like when God separates us from things. But what we see, though, is that God separates. Now, when I was a kid, some of you are like, whew, thank goodness, a story, something. When I was a kid, I was about eight years old, and I got up on the arm of the couch, and my mom was in the living room. I got up on the edge of the couch, and I was looking at the lamp. As a kid, I was fascinated with this lamp. I promise you I was. I don't know why, but I was fascinated with this lamp. Some of you know where I'm going with this. And I'm looking up in the lamp. I'm looking up at the light bulb, and I'm like, huh, this is really bright. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is beautiful. And I start going like this. And my mom goes, hey. I'm like, yes, mom. Oh, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. And I cannot joke with you. Eight years old, this is what I did. I went, I look back up at the light bulb. I looked at my mom, and I went. She said, Daniel? I touched the light bulb. It burned. It burned my finger. It burned my finger bad. I started crying. She said, yeah, look what happened to you. You didn't listen. You're hard-headed. Come here. Boom. Bop me over the head. That's <laughs> what you get. <laughs> I burned my finger. She came over. She picked me up. Watch. She picked me up from the couch and separated me from the light bulb. She moved me away from that which I had harmed myself 
with. Some of you see it, some of you get it. Sometimes when God does not give you that job you want, that relationship you want, when he calls you away from friends, when he moves you away from situations, when he moves you from that that you think is so good for you, he is not keeping you from something good. He's protecting you from something that's going to harm you. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. Ain't that crazy? A light bulb. I mean, you look at the stuff around you, it will teach you about God. Listen, my mom does not follow after me now, guarding me from light bulbs at 26 years old. I didn't, oh, get away. (laughs) That'd be weird. Why does she not have to do that now? Because guess what? As I grew up, as I matured, I understood how to use a light bulb without burning myself. Some of you, God is not telling you no to the relationship you want, the job you want, the things you want answered in your life. He's not telling you no. He's telling you to wait and mature until you get to a point where that thing you want so badly will not harm you. (laughs) Ain't that crazy? That God might not be saying no. He might be saying, how about you mature a little bit? before I give you this light bulb and let you play with the light. Because if I give you this now, if I answer this prayer now, if I give you what you want so badly now, you're so immature in your faith, you're so immature that all you're going to do is hurt yourself. And even though you're mad at God, you want to know, why can't I have that relationship? Why can't I have that friend group? Why can't I live here? Why can't I get all these things that I want? You're mad at God and you don't even realize that he picked you up and moved you because he loves you so much. He has gone before you and knows that whatever you're going to do is going to hurt yourself. It's happened to me countless times again in my life, and we see it all across Scripture. Now, right here in Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, this is one of the most important things I'm going to tell you. What's so amazing about this, Jeff, I see you in the back. What's so amazing about this 1-1 and 1-2, watch this, is that verse 2 says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the entire surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters, right? It says that in verse 2. The Hebrew phrase... Translated formless and void, watch this, it means a waste. It means, when you translate it literally, it means a garbage dump. Literally garbage. That's what's crazy. So when you see formless and void, it's saying that this location is completely uninhabitable. In other words, there cannot be life here. Now, what you and I know is that God did not create a wasteland. Think about this. There's something huge with 1-1 and 1-2 that people miss. Watch this. God did not create a wasteland. Isaiah 45, 18 says it. For this is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, the God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it. Then look, he did not create it to be a wasteland, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. So in verse 2, it's a wasteland. In verse 1, it isn't. Something happens to the earth. Something happens to the earth from when God made it to verse 2 that made it a wasteland, that made it a garbage dump. What could it be? You ask me. You tell me. What being has the power when he shows up to turn something from good to garbage? (laughs) Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, I don't have time to read it, tell us that Satan himself was kicked out of heaven and to earth when he rebelled against God. Tony Evans argues that between 1-1 and 1-2, Satan was kicked out of heaven and thrown to earth. That means all of the waste and garbage that that was on earth was because of Satan, not God. That's crazy. So wherever Satan is, garbage is. Wherever Satan goes, sin goes. And then what did God do as his spirit was hovering over the waters? God took it from a garbage dump and made it good again. 
You have two beings. You have Satan who turns things into garbage, and you have God who can turn anything into good. <laughs> now, you want to know what Satan's doing in your life? Take all that and apply it. When Satan shows up in your life, Salsa, he shows up and he tries to make your life a garbage dump. He tries to make it a wasteland. He tries to get you to live in sin. He tries to ruin your life. The glory is when you get Jesus Christ and his spirit begins to live in you as the spirit was hovering over the waters. It's him who can make what was formless and a wasteland into something that is good again. Wow. It's almost as if there's a bigger battle at play in there, Paul. It's almost as if we are really, really small. And this spiritual battle that's happening is huge. And yet God has invited us small beings to be a part, excuse me, of a really huge battle. <laughs> wow. So some of you are spiritually where the earth was. <laughs> yeah, some of you right now feel like a wasteland, like sin is running rampant. It's a swampland. What you need is God. He can come in and separate you from Satan and from all the sin that has happened in your life. He can separate you from it. <laughs> That's amazing. Elohim can restore what was a masterpiece. And then D, God called. God said, God saw, God separated, and God called. When battles arise, when Goliaths show up, as Trey was saying earlier, when we're in crisis situations, God is calling leaders. Many of you know we're coming up on 9-11 in our nation. 9-11 happened almost 20 years ago. Ain't that crazy, Emma? Almost 20 years ago, 9-11 happened when the two planes hit the Twin Towers and changed America, changed airport security forever, changed how we view things. It was a terrorist attack. 9-11 is coming up, and I read this story. It's very short. But I read this story, and this story radically changed my week when I read this. I want you to think about this for a moment. Listen closely. Do not zone out. It's the story of a man named Robert Matthews. These are his words. I want to read it so that you hear his words. A few weeks before September 11th, Robert says, my wife and I found out we were going to have our first child. She planned a trip out to California to visit her sister. On our way to the airport, watch this, we prayed that God would grant my wife a safe trip and be with her. Little did he know how that prayer would be answered. Shortly after I said amen, we both heard a loud pop. And the car shook violently. Kendall, the car shook violently. We had blown a tire. Robert says he replaced the tire as quickly as he could, but we missed her flight. And both of them went home mad and upset. You ever had something happen to you and you're mad, you're upset, you get in a car wreck and you're mad, you don't know the why. God knew the why. Robert says, I received a call from my father who is a, watch, retired firefighter. He asked what, why, what my wife's flight number was, and I explained that we missed the flight. My father informed me in that moment that her flight was the one that had crashed into the southern tower. Robert said I was too shocked to speak. My father also had more news. He said he was going to help. He said, this is not something I can just sit by for. I have to do something. How many of you know that what we need in Christianity is Christians who can't just stand by but are willing to do something? Amen. The retired firefighter Neely goes to the site. This, I was concerned for his safety, Robert said, of course, but more because, watch this, the most important thing, here it is. 
he had never given his life to Jesus Christ. I was upset because he had never given his life to Jesus. After a debate, I knew his mind was up. Before he got off the phone, my dad said, take good care of my grandchild. Those were the last words I ever heard my father say. He died while helping in the rescue effort of 9-11. My joy over my prayer that had been answered for my wife, over her safety, had quickly become anger. I was angry at God. I was angry at my father. I was angry at myself. I was angry at life. Have you ever been there before? I was angry at God. Why? Why? Now my son would never know his grandfather. My father had never accepted Christ, and I never got to say goodbye. Then something happened. Two months ago, I was sitting at home with my wife and my son when there was a knock on the door. I looked at my wife, but I could tell she wasn't expecting anyone. I opened the door and found a couple with a small child. The man at my door looked at me and asked if my father's name was Jake Matthews. I told him it was. He quickly grabbed my hand and said, I never got the chance to meet your father, but it's an honor to meet his son. He explained to me that his wife had worked in the World Trade Center and had been caught inside after the attack. She was pregnant and had been caught under debris. He then explained to me that my father... He then explained to me that my father had been the one to find his wife and free her. My eyes welled up with tears as I thought of my own father giving his life for people that he didn't even know. And then this man looked at me and said, there's something else you need to know about my wife. She's a believer in Jesus. He said that my wife talked to your father as he was freeing her from the debris. She shared the gospel with him, and in that stairwell, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. <sighs> Praise God. Robert said, I began sobbing at the news of this because now I know that when I get to heaven, my father will be standing beside Jesus to welcome me and that this family would be able to thank him themselves. <laughs> I wrote down as I reflected on this story that in the crisis of a terrorist attack, God came calling. God often calls when you least expect it. At first, you might not understand why your dad would be called to a burning building until you realize that God's calling him there so he can get saved. At first, you might not understand why a pregnant woman would be allowed by God to be trapped under debris until you realize that God's going to use that pregnant woman to lead someone to Christ in that stairwell. She may have been covered by physical debris, but she was not covered spiritually. She was wide open to share the gospel with Christ. I wrote down, you may not understand why God has you where you are. You may not understand the trial, the battle, the Goliath, why he has called you to the situation you're in. But college students, I can safely tell you this. Wherever you are, whatever battle you're in, whatever Goliath you face, whatever hard situation is gnawing at you, God is in the middle of it. And he is calling you to lead. He is calling you to share Jesus he is calling you to make disciples, and he's calling you to follow Jesus forever. Some of you need to make that decision tonight, though. Let's all stand up.
as you're putting your stuff away, you can put your phone away. I just want you to lock in with me for a couple of moments. And I just want to ask you as you're standing at your chair to just bow your head for a moment, wherever you are. You keep your head bowed. I promise you nobody's looking around, nothing like that going on. But man, after everything we've talked about tonight, I got to emphasize to you one more time. You never know why God has brought you where you are. But he does. And some of you, just as sure as that firefighter went to that building, some of you were brought here tonight to repent and give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time ever. Jesus Christ came down to this earth. He walked this earth. He loved people. He healed people. He was the image of the invisible God, sinless, the perfect Savior. And he was nailed to a cross. They laid out his hands. They put nails through him. They nailed him to a cross for your sin. Also that you could have freedom. He was crucified at 9 a.m. And he died. He lifted up his spirit willingly at 3 p.m. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering death forever. And that is why we still talk about the name of Jesus. 2,000 years later, a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi, we're still talking about Jesus. And he can change and save your life. But you have got to get to a point where you have decided to repent and believe in him. If that's you tonight, don't put it off. Don't play no games. If you got questions, you want to talk more, all I want you to do right now, nobody's looking around, it's just you and me. All I want you to do is text Jesus to 901-833-7525. We will call you. We will talk to you. We will answer questions. You just take your phone and you text Jesus to 901-833-7525. And he will change your life. For the rest of you Christians in the room, I want you to remember something. He have, let me have your ears right now. Elohim is not even God's personal name. And in these two weeks, look at what we have learned personally about God. Isn't that amazing? It's not even his personal name. And look what we have learned. God right now is knocking at the door of your heart, asking for you to get serious about him, about evangelism, about discipleship about memorizing scripture, praying, fasting, and reading the word. He is calling you. Will you accept that call tonight? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everyone in the room. God, I thank you that your spirit has gone before us and that you are here in this room right now freeing people from sin. And God, I just pray that you would continue to soften our hearts to your word. Father, right now I pray that you would save people in this room. God, I pray that you would free people from sin for the first time. God, I pray right now for us as Christians that we would know you personally and that it would change the way we live. God, we, we need you. And we believe we are in the midst of a revival. God, don't let us get in the way of something you want to do. God, let us be a part of what you want to do. Lord, we love you and we need you. It's in your precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.